0: Hello, friends. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for being here on another episode of Improv and Magic with me, LD. I really hope that you're doing well today. I definitely am because my guest today is an incredible performer and teacher, and his name is Anthony Francis. Like me, Anthony has his own solo show that he calls Ant Farm, an incredibly fun show. I definitely recommend it. He's the creator and owner of Improv U, a place for improv classes and drop-in classes. And he's also the producer of the Palm Beach Improv Festival and the Countdown Improv Festival. Two amazing improv festivals in the Florida area. We get into a lot in this episode. We talk about what it's like to experience improv for the very first time. We talk about the joys of teaching improv, especially to people who have never experienced this before, and we also get into a little bit of the highs and lows of running a festival. It is always such a pleasure for me to talk to this man, and I hope you receive the same amount of pleasure listening into this conversation. Now, let me go ahead and give a quick apology, because this interview we did via Zoom, so there may be a few glitches here and there in the audio, but hey... That's the internet for you, folks. But anyway, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with my friend, Anthony Francis. Folks, he's funny. He's fantastic. He's fantastic. He's my friend, Anthony Francis. How you doing, Anthony?
1: Oh my God, LD. I, you know, uh, fantastic is a phrase that I like and will now adopt. Thank you so much. That's well, that,
0: that is my gift to you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm very happy to see you.
1: I'm happy to see you. When I heard you were doing this, I was like, oh man, this is great. You're such an amazing performer. You're such a consummate professional. I was like, he's going to do it in such a professional way. And you are. It's already super professional and great. You were already super professional and nice to me, even though I was about eight minutes late. So thank you.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Well, you know, I'm I'm happy, but I'm also sad at the same time because, uh, you recently left us here in South Florida. You've moved on to, uh, Orlando. Uh,
1: I don't know if you have anything to be upset about because you're down in Miami. So you and I are still the same distance away from each other. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, uh, No, I I did. I recently moved from South Florida, from the Boynton-Delray area, the West Palm Beach area, to Apopka, Florida, which many people say, huh? (laughs) And Apopka is Native American for the the potato eating place. And it is the world's largest indoor plant area. Uh, Basically, if you need plants for anything, they grow them here. And so there's a lot of indoor, I guess they're nurseries, indoor plant growing spots. It's not my thing, but that seems to be what they're known for here. Also, there's a big Goya factory here. So I'm all over that. Uh, (laughs) And it's nice up here. What's cool about it is it's, it's just outside of Orlando. So you get like a nice, peaceful, small town kind of feel, but you're really still right near Orlando. Uh, and I really like not being blocked off by an ocean you can go left right up or down uh you know in, in South Florida you can only go up down or left um <laughs> yeah you know you can go right but then obviously it gets more difficult but you know here I can go up down left right and it's uh it's nice we're setting up shop here I'm teaching classes and I'm really enjoying it I'm really enjoying the people and and the community I miss you and my friends mm-hmm. and my students dearly. Uh, but I don't miss the rental prices and I definitely don't miss the house prices of <laughs> South Florida, which is really why we moved. I have nothing to do with, with you or anyone else.
0: Well, you know, you are you are definitely a presence that will definitely be missed, but I'm sure everybody up there is going to be super happy with all the gifts that you bring to them.
1: They already can't stand me. <laughs> they are already petitioned no 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 we're we're. yeah thank you very much and uh i will be back down you know we have the palm beach improv festival we're still going to do that and uh, we'll still come down and do workshops and visit like i said all the friends i've ever known are down there so mm-hmm. it'll be nice to come back and visit
0: excellent yeah i definitely can't wait to see you in person once again yeah yeah uh i want to Uh, start as I always do with everyone at the very beginning. So um, where was it that you grew up?
1: I was born in St. Mary's Hospital in Manhattan in New York City in Mm. 1982. And very quickly, uh, my family moved to, shortly after that, they moved to Greenwich, Connecticut. I lived in Greenwich until I was nine years old. Mm. And my family fell on extremely difficult times and they uh moved to south florida which was the only other place we had a winter home we were snowbirds originally and we had a winter home down here so we moved down here and uh my family struggled uh, with bills uh they struggled probably uh, for the rest i would say for a very very long time uh until maybe recently <laughs> but uh but yeah so so there was a lot of struggles there and um but that's that's how we started so we moved moved to south florida and i was Nine years old and uh, moved to Boca Raton. I went to Boca Middle, Boca High, and uh, and that's kind of the beginning. So you did a lot of moving when when you were a kid. I moved eleven, maybe twelve times, uh, from the age of nine to twenty two.
0: You know, one thing I often hear about people who move around a lot is that wherever they wind up, it's always hard to make that transition and to acclimate themselves into their new town or or new school. Uh, Was that true with you?
1: That was real hard for me. Moving from Greenwich to Florida was such a shock. Um, I went from living in a town where I had friends that I grew up with since we were really, really small. And uh, I encountered my first bullying experience in South Florida. I had never been bullied before. Uh, I had was friends with everybody. You know, school was we, we were all we all were growing up together. You know, it wasn't, it was a different thing. So when I came to South Florida, I immediately was not liked, although I came in like I was liked, you know, I came in like I, you know, came from a small town, you know, Greenwich, Connecticut is a small town, albeit a, a very affluent town, but it was small town. It was just, people just were nicer. And down here, I noticed that they were not as nice.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I. Experienced bullying all too well when I was in elementary school. Although I didn't move around, Uh, I knew everyone. But uh, boy, did I get it a lot in uh, in elementary school. And uh, well, it it just wasn't fun times. But I imagine, you know, always being the new kid, it's tough because you always have to adapt and adapt and adapt every single time. Like, how are you able to cope with being able to adapt so many times and with a
1: new group of people? Well, the moving a lot of move, the move the first move from greenwich to florida was the hardest move after that all the other moves were local moves yeah. uh, my family had a hard time with um maintaining a steady income so um we we constantly had to move because of you know not being able to pay the rent and uh that was something that you know it was very kind of sudden and abrupt but we would move from place to place, but locally. We stayed in the West Palm Beach area. We stayed in the Boca del Rey um, uh, area. Uh, more more the Boca, I would say, Bo- Boca Deerfield area um, when I was growing up. So didn't really have to move schools that much. I went to, like I said, Boca Middle and Boca High without any problems. We kind of stayed within at least one area in that way.
0: Okay. Deerfield's a nice area. My in-laws uh, have a have a home there in Deerfield. It's it's gorgeous. Well, I always love going there because they live right on the beach too, which, which is absolutely beautiful.
1: Yeah, Deerfield's amazing. Like Deerfield's such a cool little town and city. And it's it's got it's got its other areas too. I, I don't know why I said amazing. Nice. It's nice. <laughs> Can I go back? Let's take it, pick it up in three, two. Yeah, Deerfield's really nice. Deerfield's really nice. <laughs>
0: Um, when you moved, uh, to South Florida, was it tough for you to deal with being in an area where we only have, um, hot weather and not
1: having the seasons change and all that? Absolutely. I, now that I'm even just in central Florida, I feel better. I feel more relaxed the humidity. The humidity and I did not get along and I never made peace with the weather. I never made peace with it. I need I need it to be a little drier and a little cooler for me. And uh, even this, even just, you know, being up here in central Florida now is is the weather is a little different, you know, a little milder, I guess.
0: Yeah, my wife uh, also, she and her family moved around a lot and uh, she they lived in um, in St. Louis for a while and they lived in um, uh, South Carolina for a while. And then when my wife and her parents finally moved down to Florida, she's always telling me about how much she misses the fall. She misses, she misses the foliage. She misses, well, she doesn't miss the winter too much, but, you know, she misses feeling the seasons are, are are changing.
1: You know, there's that, yeah, there's so many things with cold weather that you get to have that you don't get to have in South Florida. It's just never, you know, and, and it's, it has nothing to do with I, I don't mean to hate on it. It's just not for me. You know, it's so humid. It's so wet. And, uh, and it's hard for us to have any level of fashion, you know, fashion is like a tank top and a tan. And I don't, I don't look so great in a tank top and I don't really go outside. So there's not much of a tan and <laughs> right, it's, right. you know, uh, so there's a lot there with that. And I, I feel like when it's cooler and drier, I can, you know, maybe I can wear some layers or something. I see some, I see some of the stuff, like I go to the mall and I see some of these like outfits on these mannequins. And I'm like, yeah, right. It's never <laughs> going to happen down here. Come on. You know,
0: I think sometimes those outfits are just made for mannequins.
1: They are, they are just for the mannequin.
0: Exactly. Um, I remember, uh, there was one year while when my wife and I were still dating, um, I've, I've never gotten used to the heat and humidity either. And I've lived here my entire life. And so there was one year in December where uh, my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, but we visited her older brother in um, in Minnesota. And this is Minnesota in December. And there was like 16 inches of snow. And I got to tell you, I loved every minute of it. I'm a huge fan of, of cold weather. Anytime I can get it, mm-hmm. I'm in there.
1: Yeah, I love cold weather, and the, there's certain things like sitting around a campfire or like you know sitting around like a uh, uh you know uh like a I don't want to say bonfire but like a pit I don't even know because I haven't done it enough but you know like a little a little fire in the backyard and fire pit that's the word yeah and and that's nice you know and you get to do that sort of thing and you can't do that with this there's one level of temperature it's either hot and dry or hot and wet. Uh, and it's going to be hot and dr- or it's hot and dry and it's going to be hot and wet but anyway i don't want to complain too much about the weather but but yeah
0: that's... oh we can complain all day about the weather you know? really yeah <laughs> yeah we'll have like maybe uh two weeks where it gets cold and cold for us is like 60
1: but yeah, yeah. walking
0: out with, like their big jackets and their fur boots and stuff and everyone from up north just
1: laughs at us it, it's hilarious yeah and you get the people down here that once it gets cold enough they bust out that one leather jacket all of a sudden everyone's got a leather jacket come on <laughs> exactly and a scarf so same <laughs> yeah yeah well we have no and that's the thing with south florida you don't have florida winter fashion you don't it's winter for four days exactly. maximum right so
0: exactly and yeah. when you, you get it, it just sits in your closet for like 11 plus months so
1: right right we have a coat closet here do you really we have a closet. That is designed for coats, yeah. So when you walk in the front door, there's a closet right by the front door for the coats. So that's nice because we do have, we have coats now. And so we've had coats, but now those coats might get a little more effort. We have a fireplace in the house. Never had that. Well, we did have that in one place, but. No, mm-hmm.
0: well, I've never heard of a coat closet. That's that's a new concept to me. Yes, a closet for coats. You are a lucky man, my friend. You are a lucky man. <laughs> So uh, when you were a kid, um, did you ever have any uh, performance background? Did you ever do anything as far as performing?
1: Well, I was a class clown. Um, And uh, but um, performance for me didn't start until I was. Yeah, well, I was in uh, sixth grade, fifth grade, and I was in the music class and they asked me to sing. And I, I did. And the music teacher said to my parents, "Like your son can sing really well." Uh, so my they signed me up to go sing at the church in the church choir. And so I sang in the church choir until I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, I sang. I was a boy soprano, and I was very fortunate. I got to train with Rosemary Stone, who is a uh, in in West Palm Beach area as a uh, musician for. A few, I think maybe a few different churches now. She's a fantastic music director, like one of the best. Um, Pam, uh, last name I'm blanking on, she was a uh, professional opera singer and she trained me. So I was I was professionally trained and did uh, solos as a boy soprano for as many years as I could until the day came when I was no longer a boy soprano and I had to fight through. Uh, that's when I was doing. I was doing the teen mass at that time. So I was doing like 6 PM mass and, uh, I did that and did a lot of Christian kind of Christian rock, light Christian rock music, uh, not rock music, but it still choral kind of music. And I did that until I was 18. And, uh, then I didn't really pick up music again until I started doing musical improv when I was 30.
0: Hmm. Okay, was there was there ever a moment during uh, that time where you thought to yourself, "This is this is something I'd like to do. I'd like to explore this a little more. This whole performing thing."
1: Sure. Yes. Absolutely. I was. I had really really bad stage fright. Uh, the soloing helped with that, but I can tell you that I was so nervous. I wore a hole in the my sheet music that I would hold uh, one of the songs I sang was Ave Maria as a boy soprano and I just was so nervous every time I sang I was so nervous uh that didn't really go away until uh, well then I sang in high school I'm sorry I sang in high school um but even then I didn't sing in high school until the end of junior year and then all of senior year I joined the choir I don't know what it was I guess I just I didn't I didn't think I was allowed. I didn't give myself permission to do these things. I didn't think I had the right to be an actor, to be a performer. I didn't think that that was something that I had the right to do, which is a a terrible thing to think, and no one should ever think that. And whenever I have students now that say, oh, I can't be that, I say, you absolutely can be that, and I give you permission to be that, and I hope that you give yourself permission to be that. Because that was what was holding me back was my lack of giving myself permission to be who I want to be, yeah. and being terrified. Why, I wouldn't even whisper. It.
0: Why, why do you Why do you think you didn't give yourself permission at that point?
1: Oh, I have no idea. Uh, I just didn't have the confidence. I was uh, afraid. Um, it took It took a lot and it wasn't until i was 28 when i really pursued acting i actually took an acting class uh, because i had uh, i was doing video production i actually went into a field that was adjacent to performance because i was terrified of the performance i can be in video production sure that's a job i can do that's a job i'm permitted to do to be behind the camera but i'm not allowed to be in front of the camera but The truth was I was, and uh, so I did, I started in video production and then I started doing voiceover work because I thought that would be a great way for me to spread my wings and be an actor and express this thing that I was dying to express inside myself without anyone seeing me. And I could secretly be an actor and that's one way I could maybe get around this approval, uh, you know, in air quotes approval and uh, and I did that. And that's where the confidence started to grow so it took a very long time for me to build that confidence so finally when i was i think i was like about maybe 26 when i started doing the more acting more voice work because i was doing commercials so i did the voiceovers for commercials and things like that and then finally after years um more years i I can't tell you how many how many years but um too many I said, you know what, I'm going to take an acting class because I looked at a YouTube video and I said, you know, a YouTube video and said, you know, act, a voice actor should take acting classes because you're acting. And I'm like, yeah, I should do that. And so I went and took my first acting class with uh, Michael Joya in Fort Lauderdale, the acting school of, uh, of Fort Lauderdale. And he taught me how to be an actor. And then he offered me an improv class. And I was like, well, I'm funny, I'm witty. Yeah. Let's and at the time, very naively thought that's what improv was. And now I realize improv is incredible. And the acting uh, was uh, improv was my passion. I loved it to pieces, to itty bitty pieces. I couldn't get enough of it. And I had to just dive into it completely. And I love improv because I know I love improv because improv has hurt me. Improv has been very difficult at times following this has taught me has, has introduced me to people i wish i'd never met but it's also introduced me to people i can't live without and has given me tools and, and, and abilities i never thought i'd have and uh, so i'm i'm in love with it because no matter how much it hurts me i still keep coming back to it and i know that i know that in the end it's, it's ultimately um, the best thing in the world for me
0: you know what was the question <laughs> you know, it's really interesting how, you know, you are definitely a, a trend of what I see a lot of people in improv, where if you hear a lot about how they began, they always start off kind of the same way, similar to you, where they say, oh, I could never do something like that. Uh, I'm not good enough to ever do something like that. And then it isn't until they dive into it that they realize that they actually can do this and they really discover something uh, inside themselves that they never thought they had. Because I've seen you in like a lot of performances and I see you as a very confident and fearless uh, performer. And it's amazing to hear how, you know, how you didn't give yourself permission in that beginning. Um, do you, because I know you also teach improv, is that something that you also tend to notice a lot when you
1: teach students on how to do this? Oh, At time they get to me, I think they've, they've made the, you know, they're like, I'm ready to do this, but I think there are still students that do have confidence issues. I have had to have that conversation with certain students that they, they should do this more, that they're very good at it and they should do it. I try to be careful and not tell students, you know, you're great, you're amazing, you know, but I like to tell people, cause I like to follow the Viola Spolin approach of like, don't tell students they're terrible, but also don't tell them they're great. If you're gonna tell one, if you're gonna praise one student, remember there's always other students that aren't being praised in that moment. They see that, you know, you don't want to, you know, muddy the waters in that way. But I, I like the idea of I like telling people, there are certain students where I've been like, hey, you you should continue to do this because if you practice at this, there's a very good chance you'll be very, very good at it. You have the building blocks and I think you should continue with it. That's just my opinion, but I think you should continue, you know, because I want people to know that they can do it. And then there are some people that I've said, if you know, I give you permission, you know, and I, th- I think a lot of people are looking for that. I think they're looking for someone to say, yes, that is correct. Yes, you are right. Keep going. And I want to be that voice for them because I had to find that voice for myself initially. And Uh, Michael Joya helped me continue. Todd Bruno helped me. Todd Bruno was my first improv teacher. I say that name because you might know him. Um, You know, and it's just that. It's just whoever they are, uh, you know, certain students in class, yeah, there are people that are um, really struggling and looking for an answer, looking for that permission. Yeah, that permission, And
0: and I think as teachers, we sometimes take this for granted. But that permission that we give to that student is means the world to them. Giving them that yes, you know, that's the thing that I think a lot of times a lot of students are looking for. Just to have that someone in authority, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, to say yes, you you are able to do this. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen students who get that yes from me, and it's like their whole lives. Uh, have just changed. I, I've heard many students jokingly say, "This is better than therapy."
1: Oh, all the time people say that, and I'm very quick, especially since I'm the writer. I'm very quick to say, "Hey, hold on! It's not therapy. It's therapeutic, but it is not. <laughs> I am not a licensed therapist." Um, right? Exactly. Though it's it is it's that, and and you said authority, but really, what you have and what I have at this point is experience. And that experience, that moat of time, that that amount of time that you and I have seen seeing other people do it, when they come to us and we look at them, we say, "You have what it takes. All you have to do is keep practicing. That's it. All the the hard part, the 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 only thing you have to do is keep doing it. You're gonna get better. You just need to do the thing. And that's coming from my years of experience watching people do improv, and saying, "You can do this too," based on what I'm seeing from you. I think that's what people pay to find out. Mm-hmm. You know, they get that they get that. We have that experience. We've seen so much, you know, you and trained so hard. It's not that you and I are casually in improv. You're someone I would call an improv professional. You whether you're doing improv, you know, for fun as a, at a jam with your friends, or if you're doing improv at a paying event. That's like, you know, sponsored by a corporation, you're still going to be LD, you're still going to do improv as a professional. And that's what I think. Uh, people are, are there for they're there for someone to take the this silly art form a little bit seriously and they if they want to be that way too they're like you know do I have what it takes to do it you know yeah of course you do
0: yeah and, also, okay, and also be okay if every now and then you, you have a scene that fails you know and granted failure in improv can is can be very subjective and I think a lot of people interpreted interpret that word differently in our field but also to know that you'll have scenes that will fail and that's okay it doesn't mean you're you're bad at this it's just part of the process of of getting
1: better well you are your your improv is yours and you're in your own context so when you get on stage not only is it about all the time and effort you've put into improv but it's also about where you're at right now in your life mm-hmm. in this moment who are you and in that moment you might be someone who's dealing with self-doubt, who's dealing with a lack of confidence, you may be second guessing yourself. And so when you get up to do improv, your mind might not be clear enough to do a great job of improv because you yourself aren't really clear and you need to get clear. No, this isn't a Scientology thing, I'm sorry. No, but like, you know, we we need to we need to remember that too that, you know, this art form is fully us and it's not something I can I can't pretend. I have a hard time pretending on on that stage, believe it or not. It's more of a reality than a pretend. It's an openness. It's a sharing of myself with the audience. In fact, that's what I love about improv because when you see me on stage, that's me. That's literally who I am presented in the best way I know how. Me playing pretend is who I am. And when you're, when you have a bad scene, you have a bad scene, you know? Okay. If it's not the most entertaining or it's not like mind-blowing like it's improv it, they're not all going to be winners you know even um i don't have a good analogy i forget there's a company that allows for like oh lego a lego allows for like 0.009 percent imperfections in their lego pieces right like i don't know what the don't quote me on that but like everything make everything even you know legos like occasionally a bad lego is going to pop out mm-hmm. you know and they may make, make millions of these things. Occasionally, a bad scene's going to pop out. One of the best things I've learned from bad scenes or the uh, best uh, piece of advice I've gotten about that is um, don't think about improv as your, well, you have your best scene up here, right? At the very top, you have your, your best scene. Imagine a, a line, right? Uh, you have this blue line of, of your best scene. It's arcing up. And then you have your worst scene in the red line underneath it. Well, as you train, your blue line never really goes up any higher. It might a little bit, but your red line goes up drastically. So your worst scene is your as as you do improv, your worst scene can be almost indistinguishable from your best scene, or not indistinguishable, but your worst scene is a lot closer to a good scene than it is to a terrible scene or a boring scene. And so now you have you your worst increases. Right, you you your margin of error decreases. Uh, you know, as you, as you train.
0: Have you had moments where, going back to what you said just a few moments ago, have you had moments where you perform the scene and it really helped you deal with whatever may have been in your head at that present moment? Yes.
1: Um, so I started doing uh, when I, the uh, uh, Miami Improv Festival this last year, I went and I didn't have my music director, uh, Tony Tata. I didn't have him with me. He had a he had a real gig, and I'm always like, go do your real gig, sir, you know, don't, you know, uh, he had a real good, good gig he had to go to. So I was like, okay, go do that. Uh, but that then I realized I'm in the green room by myself with like five minutes before I'm about to go on stage. And I felt very alone. And I started panicking a little bit, as you know, because you're a solo performer too. I started to panic. I knew I wasn't going to do music in that show. But I also really felt this huge kind of anxiety kind of wash over me, and um, and when I went out on stage, I I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know. I felt so uh, I had no no vision. I had I couldn't see ahead, you know. And um, which and I can't right because you can't because we're about to go on stage and we're about to improvise. You know, your brain always goes. Um, you know, oh maybe I'll do this or maybe I'll do that. And it's like, Oh, no, 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 we can't think about that. We can't look ahead. So I knew I couldn't look ahead. So here I was standing at what I I pictured as just this huge abyss. And I had to embrace that not knowing. And it was that show that I really didn't have, I don't want to say a plan, I never have a plan. But I really felt unprepared and I leaned into that and I really felt unsure of myself and I leaned into that too and I gave up I guess you could say I kind of I offered it up you know I was like look here I just take it because I can't I don't know what to do with it so uh, so because of that I felt very free and then I had a great show and I think I had a great show because I really let go of of that anxiety in the moment and I know we talk about it all the time, but I'm gonna be honest, I'm not anxious before an improv show. I could be talking to you and then they could call my name and I'll run up on stage and I'll go do improv. And it really doesn't, I'm not thinking about it and I'm okay with it. But in that moment, I really felt like I had kind of a breakthrough a little bit, kind of like a, oh, the less I care, the more I give up, the more I release of this, and I step into that abyss, then that's when things are going to happen, and and it kind of goes to you know, don't worry about what could be, just what is, and and I don't know what is until I get out there, and that's that's kind of freeing, you know. So that was really a an, a, a show that I think back on a lot, and think about that, and uh, and it's helped me so much. It helped me recently. I just did. Well, I just had my goodbye show. Which was very nerve-wracking. I got really nervous because it was like a a high school reunion in a way. It was like students I had taught from years ago showed up and people were there that, you know, that I love and I wanted to do a good job for them. And so there was a lot of pressure. And I was like, oh yeah, just remember the green room at MIF, you know, and remember that feeling and and lean into that abyss and, and lean into that not knowing. And I know we say it all the time, like, oh, it's the, it's the unknown, you know, but like. I really felt it, and it was really scary. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, I, I yeah. remember that show. I, I did see that, and and I absolutely loved it because, you know, it was just you just having fun up there. You basically created your own kung fu movie. And and it was just wonderful. Right. To see. And you know, I absolutely love the stuff that you're saying because it's become my new philosophy too. Because one thing I've certainly been working on within the past two years or so is Lowering the bar in my head.
1: Mm -hmm. I'll
0: give you this example. When I first did my solo show uh, again at MIF in 2020, and of course, it was January 2020 before the world closed down, obviously.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. um, It was my first festival that I ever performed at. And it was the first festival I ever did as me, not holding the JTF banner, but uh, just for the first time, my own thing. And so I'm backstage in the green room, and I'm really hyping myself up, thinking, "Okay, this is going to be my 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 big breakout moment." And so I go out on stage, and I did the show. And afterwards, I was actually very depressed. I was very very mopey, and I was actually angry with myself because I really felt like, "Man, that's that I, that was not as good as as I thought it would be. That really was not as good as." as I believed I could do. I didn't even bother to watch the next show afterwards, which was Mark Sutton and Joe Bill, by the way. That's how upset I was. And then after a while, uh, my wife just finally said to me, what the hell's wrong with you? Why can't you just be proud of what you just accomplished? And the funny thing Mm -hmm. about wives is that
1: they're usually right. Oh God, my wife is right all the time. It's infuriating. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah your, your performance was so good. I remember watching you and I was like, oh, he's just as good, if not better. And here I am thinking I'm breaking new ground doing solo improv, but LD's got it. He's got it nailed down. Uh, so, I mean, not that we're in any sort of competition in the sense that, you know, because we're friends and all that, but like, I was proud of you. I was impressed by you and you do things in your solo show that uh, that i need to work on in my show hmm. and so you helped me and helped educate me through your performance and it's interesting that you feel that way because it's just ridiculous
0: <laughs> i i have to take a pause because i wasn't expecting to hear that
1: <laughs> but uh, oh yeah no for sure you're very very good at doing solo improv which if people who are listening don't know This is where you make up all the characters on on the spot, you play all you play it all being aware of the positioning you you have on stage is important, you have to be paying attention to so many things, this is no longer a game, this is a real solo improv requires real work. Uh, Not that not that not that regular improv doesn't I mean, but it's when you when you're by yourself it's different than when you're with four or five other people even another person can pick up the slack when you're. When you're not feeling it or whatever, but solo improv is hard.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely work on a very different level. You know, I, I kind of um, I kind of use the analogy of it's kind of like playing a uh, racquetball. You know, you're going to hit the ball with the racket, and you know it's going to bounce off the wall, but you have no idea what direction that ball is coming back at you. So you constantly have to adjust every single time. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, I want to go ahead and put the spotlight back on you because you're oh, the. way. So, where did you get started in improv? You mentioned that you had uh, taken some classes, um, and so where did your improv journey begin?
1: Well, I so I started at the acting school of Fort Lauderdale with Todd Bruno, who was the improv teacher, and. I was there, took a couple of classes, loved it, was super addicted to it. And I needed more. I reached out to the nearest improv theater I could find called Just the Funny. And I was in contact with someone there over email. And I was like this close to signing up for classes and going down to Miami to do improv which would have destroyed me uh, that the drive to coral gables would have killed me but i didn't care i was so excited to to, to do more of this right so i was real close to joining just the funny uh which probably would have been great um but then i was i was uh, i was at work and i was working um, uh i was working for a company and and one of the um uh, uh one of the girls there at, at girls 20 20 we were all in our early 20s right um well they were I was like <laughs> I'm like 20 I'm like yeah 27 I right? 28. so um I uh, I was talking to Jesse her name is Jesse and she goes I said yeah I'm, I'm thinking about doing improv and she's like oh I do improv and I was like you do like I hadn't met anyone else that did improv everyone I knew who did improv was in Fort Lauderdale so I didn't know who else would do it and I didn't see anything in uh Boca or you know, um, I think I was living in Deerfield at the time, so I was like, I didn't know, you know, where this thing was. So she said, Oh yeah, I do it in Boca with Sick Puppies. I was like, Oh okay, let me find out who they are because I'd rather go to Boca than than Coral Gables. So I ended up joining up with uh, Sick Puppies. I remember talking to Casey Kasperson, who is the the leader, the creator of Sick Puppies, in the parking lot. I'll never forget this conversation. Um, I was in the parking lot uh, in downtown Boca. I was outside of uh, Flanagan's, talking to Casey about classes, and he was like, "Well, come to a show." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll definitely come check out a show." I never did, uh, but I ultimately I went to my first class and signed up for classes there, and um, and I just did a bunch of bad improv for you know for two and a half years, uh, and then I got bored with improv, and I thought, "Eh, I get it. It's I, I've reached the limit." This is fine. I was, uh, and I wasn't good. I was bad. I would do bulletproof improv. I would do, I was, you know, I was never affected by anything. I would make jokes. Um, audiences loved it. Um, my fellow cast mates loved it. And I was, you know, for all intents and purposes, good at improv, but two and a half years later took a workshop, um, with, uh, Dave Rosowski and, um, and that showed me that improv is miles deep, miles, miles deep, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't end. And it's so unique and interesting. And if you're paying attention, you can find things in an improv scene that are magical. But its it was like trying to grain of sand with a baseball bat. It was that small. It was like, oh, I missed it a bunch of times. I'm like, oh, well, there, I could almost see it. I'm like, there's something. What's that? That's relationship. That's the relationship. It's almost like relationship isn't a thing that exists until it's moving. And it's like, you can't see it until it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta have the eye for it. And so I learned that in that workshop, and then I was obsessed. And then I couldn't stop. Uh, And then it was just books and workshops and learn from everybody I possibly can. And I ultimately ended up leaving Sick Puppies to uh, do classes up in uh, at actors rep and work with Kat Kenny, because they were doing long form and they were doing the kind of work that I, the thing that I saw in that workshop I saw them doing. And so I had to, I had to figure it all out. And I went and did that. And so then it was just work, we just worked, 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 um, and uh, hours and hours and hours Wednesday nights for three hours a night, you know, at least um, performing with Cat and Nate and Stu and um a bunch of other people. um uh, but but it was it was really, yeah, that's kind of how I started, I guess if that's the the beginning. started with sick puppies, was there for two and a half years and then joined uh, actors Rep and started teaching on my own too, uh, right around that time. Uh, after I left sick puppies, I started doing classes in uh, in Del Rey and that's really where a lot of the improv training for me came in, too is teaching. I teach Monday nights, for, for um, you know, two hours a night, and I've I don't almost don't miss it. I think there've been maybe six weeks where I didn't teach a drop-in class, mm-hmm. and I've been for ten years, so it's been every Monday at least once a week for ten years. Wow. Um, that's where the yeah, teaching.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. Um, were there things in improv that you really learned that you didn't learn when you were studying uh, acting? I mean, aside from the obvious, how to make something up.
1: I didn't take a lot of acting classes. I've done more improv than acting, but I'm pretty sure improv is acting. And I'm pretty sure I've got some pretty good acting chops. One thing that I learned through improv that I found very difficult in acting, probably would have picked it up in acting, um, was do the scene. Uh, (laughs) I'll never forget, Michael Joya took the script out of my hand. We were doing... Jerry and the Bench. We were doing um, Zoo Story was the was the title of it, and it's a short play about a guy who's on a park bench and his name, Jerry, and this vagrant or homeless guy or whoever he might be, you know, um, uh, comes and they end up having a relationship. Um, so he's uh, not, not a, when I say relationship, I don't, I just want to ruin the story for anybody, but you know, somebody gets stabbed. So the I remember him pulling the paper away and going, just do the scene. And I'm like, well, I need the words. And he's like, no, you, you need to do the scene. I'm not worried about the words. Just do the scene. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, I feel like is acting in its entirety. Michael Joy has said this too. He said, "When when the, when the director says, now in the scene, it calls for the actor to look at the other actor, the other actor shouldn't look Unless the words coming from their co-star make them look, mm. they, that that the actions that you have within the scene with your partner shouldn't be done because they're said to be done in the script. They should be done because the the motion and the and the words and the way that they're said drive you to that. Um, so it's not my job to turn and look at my scene partner, it's my scene partner's job to make me turn and look at them. Mm. And uh, Or from my point of view, it's not my job to say the line and then my partner's gonna look at me. It's my job to say the line in such a way that they look at me and it's relationship. It's It's one human, whether the lines are scripted or not, but saying those lines with the emotion that triggers the other person to do their part in a real way. I think that's what we're trying to get to, um, to for believability, so that when we tell our stories, they're believed. I think that's it. That's that's what I really took away from acting. Um, you know, um, I think that's everything. I, I I should take more acting classes. I want to take more acting classes and not just improv classes, because I feel like with improv, I've got all the, I've got all the heavy lifting down. But maybe not some of the nuance. And I would like more nuance because I've seen I've seen that nuance, and I wonder if I have that. and I don't know if I do <laughs>
0: yeah. well, I mean, i I couldn't agree with you more that improv is acting, you know, um, and I will say, you know, I uh graduated from Bear University with a bachelor's degree in theater, so I've taken like a, a bunch of acting courses and i I've done a lot of plays and musicals. But I would say, ever since I jumped into improv, that has actually made me a better actor. It re- I really do feel like my acting is a lot better because of improv. And I think it's because improv forces you to listen. And right. it's very easy in a play or a musical to just listen for the lines without really listening. Exactly what would you said, you know? My job is not to turn. My job is for my partner to say something that causes me to turn. Uh, I, I I love that so much
1: yeah yeah Michael Joy is a great acting teacher he really helped me out uh with uh, because I was coming in so green I also loved uh I hate it like I hate thinking about it but I also love looking back on those times because I don't know about you but when I first started acting uh I didn't get to act a lot I was the Lion and the Wizard of Oz in the you know middle school play and um you know our elementary school play and i never did anything in high school uh remotely related to acting except for you know lying to police officers but you know like it it's it's so fascinating it's just fascinating it's so deep um the whole thing yeah so tell me how
0: improv you got started
1: Ah, well, we started doing the drop-in classes. I went to Pompeii Park, which was a community center, and all I wanted to do was just cut my teeth as an as a teacher. I did some teaching for sick puppies and taught level classes all the way up through level five. I took a, a group all the way through that uh, and loved them to pieces. I'm still friends with some of them today. I'm still still friends with all of them, but um but you know I still I still stay in touch with with some of them. Um, Allison Martin, um, Will Hatcher, uh, plus Pierre. Uh, you know, these are people that I just, you know, w- we did that. So I I started doing my own classes and I said, you know what, $10, two hours. I don't care about the money. I I, I charge $10 because the room is 30 bucks an hour. And I figured if I have three students, I'm gonna break even. I needed to put down a hundred dollar security deposit. So put a hundred dollars down on my own money. It's the biggest investment I've made in myself uh ever and um and i sat around and i started teaching drop-in classes the first night i had five people uh this was uh, i think october 2015 and then um then the next night i had like three or four people uh the next night nobody showed up i went home early and uh and then uh one night 33 people showed up in one night And this room could not hold 33 people. I had people waiting outside for a chance to come in and do improv. Wow, Uh, It was very strange. Um, So from there, um, we started doing drop-in and the drop-ins never saw less than 15 people a night. Mm -hmm. I always had at least 15 people in that room a night. Uh, And then I had like $700 in cash on my desk at home. (laughs) And I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this money <laughs> and it can't live here. I can't have the like, cash in my house. I just, you know, I don't know. So I, um, I talked to Marissa, my wife, we were actually on, uh, we, we were driving up to Orlando and on our drive up to Orlando for one of the trips we were taking up here for whatever reason, probably universal. Uh, we formed improv and improv started as a nonprofit because I didn't expect to be making money from this thing. The problem with a nonprofit is you need to have a board of directors. And I tried that and I found that to be very difficult. I went to lunch with one person who I knew professionally. And after having lunch with them, I dissolved the nonprofit and said, I do not want anyone else's opinion that isn't in it. You know, I don't I just it was a weird thing. So we then became a a for profit company, um, and then you know again I'm not really trying to profit. I still had a job, I was still in a career, I still was a video producer. So I'm like okay. So I, you know, Improvview exists for the purpose of training people and you know offering classes and things like that. And then we we made enough money. And I thought let's open a theater, and so we we opened ImprovU Theater in um, at the end of 2016. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's
1: another story. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I know. I know. Um, It's always uh, amazing to be able to to teach this weird craft to people. Um, How do you feel like teaching improv has made you an all-around better performer?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, as an improv teacher, I get to analyze hundreds and hundreds of improv scenes and say, why aren't they working? Right. So that's just a great training tool to be able to say, OK, what is it about the scene I don't like? And so now when I get on stage, what's going on in my head is the side coaching that I would do for someone else. When I'm looking at my own scene going, what's not working? And I go, you know what? This scene needs this scene needs more. Um, I need to I need to be hitting this game harder. I'm not hitting this game hard enough. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Right. Or I've ah, been really stagnant. Let's move around. Let's use the stage a little bit more. Let's let's kind of work let's 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 use the space a little bit more than we are, right? So I've got these little side coaching things that are happening for me or I'll be like, what have I given? Have I given my partner enough? Do they have enough to go on? You know what? I haven't really gifted them enough. Let's give them some more. And that's kind of what's going through my head is this kind of like side coach kind of a voice um, that's kind of helping me course correct as I go. But that comes from all the classes and and, and teaching people and um, the miscommunications that can happen, the frustrations that can come from working with certain people. Why do certain people upset the, the balance and what are they doing or not doing that's upsetting the balance? Um, yeah, oh gosh, Im- teaching improv has helped uh, in so many ways. Yeah, so, so many ways.
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, you know, obviously our students are learning from us, but at the same time, we're learning from them as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. I'm, as Viola Spolin says, you know, I'm the I'm the teacher, but I'm also a student. Mm-hmm. And if you have any insights into this, these games or activities that we're doing, let me know, because they might be insights that I don't see myself. Which has been the case. I've had students tell me things. I'm like, oh yeah, I never thought of it that way. Because I'm one person, you know? And yeah, being an improv teacher, it's not, it's not a it's a collaborative thing, you know. I mean, it's very isolated, obviously. I'm alone. I have to hold the space for everyone and I'm the one who's they're listening to. But there's a responsibility. It's not, it's not a privilege. Uh, or it's not a right; it's a it's a privilege to be able to serve these students. Without the students, there is no teacher. Mm-hmm. So to be someone in that room, to be it's very humbling to know that these people are looking to me for direction. I need to be as sincere as I possibly can, and so sincerity is something that I've I practice now. On uh, you know, or I've been you know, i practice as a teacher, and it's really affected my life in a great way. It's changed me in a in fantastic ways I never expected. And, and I love it. Yeah, I mean, I I would recommend everyone get a chance to be the instructor or the coach for the night. Everyone should know what it's like to be in that in those shoes, because it's scary shoes to be in.
0: They are, they really are. And it's funny, like, in my, uh, in my early beginnings, I avoided teaching for a while, but I finally did it because we were at a point where we needed teachers. And I avoided it because kind of like you I felt like well I I can't be a teacher you know who's going to want to listen to me but then I think what finally what finally did it for me is the realization that I'm not there to be someone of authority and say all right minions here's how this craft works um I'm I'm there to have fun with you and I'm there to help you realize how much fun this could be and so now I see teaching not as you are my students. I'm your teacher. I see it more as this is our opportunity for all of us to have fun together and make discoveries together, both you as the students
1: and me as a teacher as well. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing, too, when it came to improv, I wasn't confident. But when it came to teaching, I had taught before. I had taught martial arts for five years. Did you really? I was a uh I, I was with the American Taekwondo Association from 18 to 23 or so and uh, I was a uh, third degree black belt and was an instructor and was being groomed to open my own Taekwondo school, which oh, no I way. absolutely did not want to do <laughs> uh that is a that was just not something I wanted to do, but I taught. I taught adults and kids. And uh, I love teaching martial arts. I love teaching technique. So when it came to improv, I just loved the technique of improv and and so I teach the technique and you know the the approach and the you know different different techniques that help make improv easier. I don't like to say rules. I don't use rules. there's only one rule in improv which is agree. but everything else is technique and I I equate I explain it to students as I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong, but you know let's say if we were painting a picture, and you took your paintbrush and you dipped it into the paint and then you dipped your your hand in the paint and then you went all the way up to your elbow and then you pulled it all out and you tried to paint a picture i'd say hey that's fine if you want to if you want to work that way you might not be ready for that kind of painting let's let's just dip the tip of the paintbrush in and you might find that to be a little bit easier which seems to be and which is a pretty direct relation to improv because what is the biggest thing the problem with new students isn't getting them to come out of their shell for the most part it's getting them to not come out of their shell so much or don't throw so much on the wall right don't throw so much stuff out there in the scene it's improv is simple improv can be one thing and you can focus on that one thing and keep it simple and so so yeah so for me the acting was uh was the was the new thing was the thing I needed help with but when it came to teaching I had experience as a teacher or as an instructor and um and I still love that that work today I love teaching people stuff Yeah, I'm sure
0: you must have had this experience, but have you had classes where it's like your your beginner's class and it's night one and you encounter students that, you know,
1: are trying to be the funny one? Have you had those experiences a lot? Well, I do a lot of drop in classes, so I have uh, I have new students all the time Mm. and one of the things that I say to those students, well, yes, to answer you 100%, uh, many a time have I had a student who has tried to be funny. I mean, it's improv. Uh, They're here to do improv and improv is funny. And so if they're brand new, yeah, they want to try and be funny. One thing I like to tell people is you don't have to be funny or clever to do improv. Laughter is a byproduct of the process. So if you're doing the process, laughter is going to come. Don't worry about the laughs. Right. We're not here to do the laughs. Also, you know, if you want to get laughs, improv isn't uh, well, improv is a great place to get be if you want to get laughs. I love I love making people laugh. But that's the thing you have to ask yourself. Do you love making others laugh or do you love to get laughs? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know what? What is your my mission is to help distract you from the, the pains of your life whether that's for 30 seconds or an hour. If I can do that, I've done my job, that's my mission. But where are, you know, what, if you're just, you know, you're trying to do it, most people are working too hard. And that's what I'll say to them I'll be like, hey, hey you're working too hard. Just, just focus on the basics and don't worry about, you know, you don't have to look out to the audience. I want you to focus on your partner and stick true to the process, Laughter is a byproduct of that process. And and you're enough just the way you are. You're enough is probably one of the biggest notes I give to new students because they need to know they don't have to work so hard. They are already doing it by being in the room. Um, You're a light bulb. You are a light bulb. You're emitting information just by being there. I'm seeing and experiencing you just by standing in the room. That's enough. So now when you do improv, you don't have to do so much. You just have to be true to the process. And you'll be surprised how much funnier you are. Uh, Aniella McGinnis McGuinness told me a really interesting story that, that um is related to this. Uh Aniella, who I'm sure you know. Yes. Yeah, Angela is a fantastic actor, great improviser. Absolutely wonderful performer. Amazing. So she told me this great. I got I got I got to work with her and Sick Puppies together. And uh, I got uh, she told this great story about uh, this traveling vaudeville group. And uh, during uh, during one of their shows, he got really uh, one of the actors got upset with his co-star and he yelled something at him. And the audience went crazy because it was such a real thing. Well, they travel to the next town. That same moment comes around again. The guy turns to the audience and says the line that got a laugh in the town before crickets. And the reason for that was because it wasn't honest and it wasn't true. And I'll never forget that story that when she told me that it's exactly what it is. That's exactly what we are dealing with. We're dealing with, oh, that's a funny line. No, no, no. It was funny in the moment. And the moment is something you don't get to control. You don't get to control where those moments are. All you got to do is ride it. You get to ride it. And if you're lucky or whatever happens, you know, we get to experience these moments, but you don't get to force you can't force a wave you're surfing on. You can't change the direction of the wave. You have to surf the wave that you're on, and that's I think that's what I think new students run into the problem is they they don't realize that they're surfing a wave. They think they're in control of the whole thing. It's like no, no, no. You are riding a wave right now. You don't get to make any course corrections.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely true. I I, I heard um I heard I heard someone say in a in a in a different podcast where. Improv gives you the laughs where you need it and not necessarily where you want it. Which means that you're in that moment and the moment is going to tell you when the laughs are going to come. It's not the time for you to come up there and say, you know, hey, let me tell you about this, folks. It's your moment to be in that moment. And that's where the laughs come from. Not because you said something very witty or or clever, but because it's what was said in the moment that came from a place of your whatever your truth was at that moment.
1: Right, right. These two characters, the relationship, who are they to each other and why they say what they say to each other because of the relationship. And that is a that's a dish that was made just for you for right now, in this moment. And so the flavors are going to be exactly unique to this moment. And if you try to replicate that dish tomorrow, it's not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. That you, know? you can't goes yeah. away forever afterwards exactly exactly yeah
0: um tell me how the palm beach improv festival got started
1: (laughs) uh oh well oh yeah well the palm beach improv festival was marissa and i my wife marissa we were walking down atlantic avenue together and we were talking about doing a festival and um I was like, well, you know what? I think that would be cool. Like, let's let's see who we can find all the different improv theaters. It'd be great. We'll all get together and we'll do this thing. There was nothing. There was the the Miami Improv Festival, and which is great, but there was nothing in West Palm. So I thought the Palm Beach Improv Festival. What a nifty idea! Mm-hmm. It was. It had already been done uh, ten years earlier, or so, maybe seven years. Tom O'Donnell. And Dave Hyland from Mod 27, which is one of the oldest running improv troops in West Palm Beach, they had done an improv festival and they had called it the Palm Beach Improv Festival. Hmm. And so I reached out to Tom and I said, uh, I said to him, hey, you know, we're thinking about doing this. You know, would it be okay if we use the name, if we brought back the Palm Beach Improv Festival? Because I don't like to think, I didn't want to ignore the history of improv in West Palm Beach. I don't think that that would have been the right move and also i you know admire and revere tom and dave for their work i call them the old gods uh patrick price too he's an he's an old god anyone who's in mod 27 anyone who did improv in west palm before me is an old god they get they get that title because they're they were they did the thing well before i was here and i need to i want to you know we want to respect that so reach out to tom he was cool with it we um we worked with actors rep. They let us use their theater space. We rented it from them. And uh the people came. Teams showed up. We had a great first year. And I had Tom host, I had him come out and host the opening. And um we had a really good time. And that was eight years ago. Eight, eight. I think we're going into year eight or year nine. Um, one of the two. But um Marissa handles the details of PBIF. I just do. Everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: What are some lessons that you learned uh, from doing
1: the Palm Beach Improv Festival for all these years? Improv Improv festivals are for improvisers. It's also for people who are interested in the arts, but the people who are interested in the arts also know the improvisers, usually in some way, shape, or form, or are connected to the inner network or the underground network or whatever it might be, the party line, they're all on it. So what i learned and i learned this lesson last year because that was that was where i i tried i tried something and it didn't work and i ended up losing a a lot of money um we usually break even on the festival we never lost money on the festival um but uh but last year we we definitely did and the reason for that was because i thought improv i said this festival will be great and the whole community needs to know about it so we rented out a huge space in downtown Delray, right on the corner of Atlantic and Swinton, which is part of downtown Delray, we had big vinyl poster, uh, big vinyl um, signs that were right on the corner of Swinton and Atlantic. This is a road that is bumper to bumper every single day. Uh, we had tons of visibility. We marketed it and promoted it, and after all that was said and done, what I learned from that was. I'd rather just do improv for improvisers because the people that did come in off the street, the people that did come in from the marketing and the advertising, they didn't know anything about improv in the festival. I don't know if they really appreciated it. I don't know if I really wanna waste my time, effort, and energy into getting those people in the room. Not that I don't want people to experience improv, but I'm just at a point now where I feel the festival should be for us And if anybody else on the outer rim wants to join us and check it out, that's great. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't want them there. I'm saying I'm just not talking to them or reaching out to those groups. That's the biggest lesson I learned, especially last year. I don't need for me at this point, I don't care if we're doing like LD, if you, if you invited me over to your house for some improv, dude, let's just do it. Let's just do improv together. And if, four or five other people show up or you know we got a bunch of people we all get together and we're in like a warehouse with like one light like they did like an 8 mile or whatever like it's a rap battle you know like if we're just doing improv for each other with each other that's what i want and i don't care if we have to do that um i don't care if 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 you know the muggles want to come out and see it great but i'm i'm not concerned about that anymore i don't want to focus on that and that goes for my classes too i'm I'm not really trying to put improv on main street anymore. Um, It didn't pan out for me. And it's not that it doesn't pan out. It just didn't pan out for me. And it's also not where my passions lie. My passions lie in doing the improv and, you know, I think jams, you know, like meeting up, that's what I want to do. I want to get into more of that. So that's really the biggest lesson I took away from, from festivals. Uh, That and when, you I, I, I don't know I, I guess there's a lot of lessons i could take i could take away from it but but the biggest thing and that's what i learned as a festival producer um it's also trying at times it can be a, it can be difficult there's it's very hard to make any money at all the margins are incredibly thin uh, and just i want to kind of share this because it was an interesting thing i wasn't prepared for so um i had an improviser come down who i love great improviser um, they also have a book. And I i don't know, I'm not, I guess I can mention the details, but Billy Merrick came down, and he did a workshop. And I thought it'd be great if with his workshop, everyone purchased a copy of his book. Well, I didn't factor in the cost of the book and the workshop and something along those lines. But at the end of the day, the math didn't work out, and I ended up losing money on the workshop. I'm glad I did it. I don't care. Like, the 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 improv festival my theater these are love letters to improv so it's not it's not like um it's not like i care about this but my point is just a festival is trickier than you think it is the costs involved the time the manpower right the people that you need to help you out uh it's all very very daunting makes you wonder why anyone would waste their time doing one but <laughs> it's it's a love letter It's why the Countdown Improv Festival continues. You know, that's not easy for Justin and Kelly to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do it and they do it with so much love. They kind of make us look bad. I joke around that, you know, the Palm Beach Improv Festival is like, here's your shirt and here's a bag and, you know, whatever. And like, there's a bunch of pens and there's a bunch of stickers and and pins in there and whatever. And they're like, here's your box. It is designed for you by us with a bespoke, you know, design and the thing, you know, they they put so much, but they have those skills. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really have those skills, but like <laughs> that's what I'm learning. I, I love the festival because the festival is like, it's a chance to just show everybody. It's a chance for all of us. And I've said this at festivals. I mean, a lot of us do this in the dark. A lot of us do this alone. The people in our communities, you know, the people who do improv in a small town in the middle of, you know, nowhere, get invited to a festival. It's their chance to meet with the rest of the community and be like, these are my people. I've been working and toiling away at this. And now I get to talk to other people that also toil away at this thing, you know? And I don't have anybody in my town to nerd out about the Herald with. But now when I go to a festival, I have someone I can I can go meet up with all these people. Like, I I love it. I'm am a, I'm such a social butterfly at festivals because it's all people that are into the thing I'm into.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like especially with uh, South Florida and a town that's not Chicago or or New York or LA, do you feel like it's hard to make the general people, the people that are in the outer rim, understand what it is exactly
1: that we do? I think if it's done right, they might go, I don't know what I, I don't really know what I saw, but I liked it. Um, I, I don't know. I think, I think improv requires a certain level of, uh maybe a minor minor level of education i don't think anyone needs to know no i, I think i think that if someone walked in a room I'd, lo- I'd love more data on this i don't have enough data on this i mean I've, I've done a couple of bar shows i actually did my solo musical show at a bar show and there was a man in the front row with a white cowboy hat on he must have been uh he was either 100 or 107 I, I wasn't quite sure um and i needed to cut him open and count the rings but basically he turned to his um the woman he was with, and he goes, I don't understand what's going on. And it was, like, loud enough. It was, like, he was, like, here. He was, like, you know, it was a small venue. He was within arm's reach. And I was, like, oh, okay. Ask a regular street, you like clowns? And they're going to say, no, clowns are scary. Clowns are terrifying. That's not necessarily true. Clowns are amazing. Clowns are the heart and soul of not only our art form, but, like, They go back to Egyptian times, maybe sooner. It's a connection to the spirit world. Clowning is fantastic when done, you know, when you're not looking at, you know, not just the bozo clown, which is a type of clown, but when you're looking at um, real, like French clowning work is some of the most moving spiritual work I've ever seen. So Mm -hmm. do they get it? Maybe not all the time improv uh i think Casey Kasperson said this improv is like steak tartare long form improv is like steak tartare you know you can appreciate it if you understand it but if you don't understand it you might be like ah eh, it's not for me uh, you might wave it away or whatever um you know short form is super accessible and easy for most people to to get into i think that's what it is i think it's one of those things that i think long form improv if you just plop the average person down who's never seen it I don't know. I'd love to know. I'd love to know what their reaction is and then question them after. I'd love the data on that. Um, But I think we've had enough experience to say they don't like it. Right. You know, they don't really want it. I think I equate that to the same thing with clowning. Look at clowns. That's how how you might feel about it. Yeah. It's definitely for
0: everybody. That's true. Right. Yeah. Well, At last year's uh, PBIF, there was a really special moment that happened and I got to witness this and I thought it was really, really great how you had this group uh, of uh, younger kids, these um, what you would otherwise call inner city kids who you had been teaching improv to. And one of the people that uh, I guess is like their director came up and talked about how through your work through improv, you made a very special impact on these uh, young people's uh, lives. Um, talk to me a little about how much that meant to you, just to just to see that and to hear that.
1: Uh, Dupree, uh, who runs the EJS project, um, uh, that yeah, that's great. I mean, i i work I work with those kids. I worked with those kids once actually. I came in and did it and did an event with them. Um, like, you know, team building and work, you know, some improv games and activities and things like that. Uh, It was really great. They were so receptive to it. And I love doing that kind of work because it's confidence. That's what you're getting. When you do these things, you're building your confidence, you're building your communication skills. And that's something everybody needs to be successful. No matter what job you have, you know, I hear people talk about, you know, because I'm in I run my own business. So people are like, well, I don't know if I can handle the, you know, the the not knowing, you know, when the next sale is going to come. And I'm like, well, you know, when you work for an employer, especially in South Florida, it's a fire at Will State. You know, you don't have to, you know, they can just tell you thanks, goodbye. You know, so nothing is guaranteed. And you then have to go sell yourself again. You know, think about it. We all have to sell ourselves. And uh young people especially in the beginning they have a harder you know you and i we've been we've been in the game for years and years we have a resume it gets to the point where you know you start dropping stuff off your resume and it's like yeah i've worked here and i've worked here and that's it you know (laughs) they don't have to know all the other stuff but college kids and high school kids their resume is like yeah like 18 jobs you know like who knows they're still trying to figure themselves out so you have to sell yourself no matter who you are no matter what you're doing uh, you have to sell yourself. And whether that's, you know, for a, a one a one time widget that you're selling to someone, or a job of unlimited number of years for, uh, you know, $60,000 with paid with benefits and health insurance, right? You're going to have to sit in a room and you're going to have to sell someone on yourself. And the only thing you really need for that is confidence. Yeah. So everything else is is the details, but the confidence is what you need. So working with them was great. Getting to be able to share that gift with them was great. Um, I can't take credit for for uh, those kids and their successes, though. Dupree is um, uh, just an incredibly generous soul, and, and he, him and everyone else in that group is uh, at EJS. It's just a great thing that they're doing, especially in downtown Delray. I can't tell you how dangerous it is there and how much, oh, especially yeah. Florida needs more help, for young people of color than ever before, especially now with with what's going on in South Florida. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I loved watching that moment so much because it served as a big reminder about how this craft really is for everybody. You know, everyone who has a desire to learn something new about themselves, build that confidence and just do something new and share with other people. It really is for
1: everybody. Well, and, you know, on Sunday when you were there, you did an amazing m- magic show for the kids. Yes. And also for the, the adults show. with, yeah, yeah, um, the adults with special needs. And then I did improv with them and I work with them a lot as well. And that group is uh, is just a fantastic group of people. That's a great population. Uh, they need improv just as much as we do. And um, I love doing that work too.
0: Well, Anthony, I love you, my friend. I mean, you you have definitely a big resume and, you know, you are someone to be highly respected in, in this art form. And honestly, I see nothing but wonderful things. And I know everyone up there in that town is just going to love everything that you do. Stop.
1: <laughs> um, I'm just glad to I'm glad I get to do this. And um, that, you know, the Central Florida improv community has been so supportive so far and so far. So far. No. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, they've they've been super supportive, so I'm I'm super excited to to keep spreading the love.
0: Awesome. I'm going to ask you one final question, and this is the question that I ask everyone at the very end, and this can be related to anything. What's the one piece of advice that has served you well that you want everyone else to hear?
1: I'm thinking. Don't ask, don't get. That's something we say in our house all the time. And man, that's the truth. Don't ask, don't get. Uh, If you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. Mm. So start asking, because if you don't ask, you don't get.
0: What a great piece of
1: advice. (laughs) It's easy. (laughs) It's easy to remember. Yeah, very easy.
0: (laughs) Anthony, I cannot thank you enough, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. and. I wish you nothing but the best. Lots of love to you and Marissa, my friend.
1: You're amazing. You're a wonderful human being. And I'm so excited to get this interview started. Thanks for the chat. So what do we do? How does this start? How do we do this? Uh, do we... I oh, did... I do oh, something it...
0: with it and get it on the podcast somehow.
1: <laughs> Wait, so this is, is it over? Did it end? Uh, uh, yeah, I think this is a good This Is it just to... starting? Are we starting now?
0: Uh, oh, yeah. Th- this was all just a warm up. We're, we're going to start now.
1: Yes. All right. Ask me anything. I'm an open book. All right. All right. It's a terrible bit. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony. Goodbye. Bye.
0: You can't get what you don't ask for. What a great piece of advice. You can tell how much he really loves his craft and, well, how much he loves sharing it with everybody. My special thanks to Anthony Francis for joining me today. Be sure to visit his website, which is theanthonyfrancis.com to learn more about him and the improv you that's the letter u.com to learn more about improv you for improv classes and team building experiences and don't forget to check out my website TogetherBymyself.com, where you can learn more about my solo show and my improv workshops once again thank you so much anthony and thank you wonderful listeners for joining me today catch you next time on improv and magic (laughs) you <laughs>